Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, Baltimore Ravens wide receiver Steve Smith Sr., and longtime football analyst and Carson Wentz's predecessor as quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, Ron Jaworski. I asked Steve Smith Sr., what's it like to be one of the most hated men in pro football? There are two people in life. There's a hero and a villain. I embrace the villain. Also this week, Ron Jaworski on what advice he's given to the young phenom, Carson Wentz. In this town, they want a tough quarterback. And despite all the great throws he's made, that's what they want to see out of their quarterback, to hang there to the last possible second and deliver a strike, knowing you're going to get whacked. Those conversations and much more coming up on this week's edition of the MMQB Podcast with Peter King. Hey, football fans, put your skills to the test this week for a chance to win cash on FanDuel. There are contests for beginners or bigger tournaments for more experienced players. Leagues start at a dollar, and setting a lineup is simple. Cash prizes are paid out every single week. And this week, don't miss FanDuel's Sunday Million Dollar Tournament, paying out at least a million dollars in prizes. Think you know fantasy football? Well, prove it. Try FanDuel now and get up to $50 in free entries. New users who deposit will get five free entries to NFL 50-50 Beginner Contest, valued at up to $50. You'll get one free entry a week for five weeks. The value of those free entries varies on deposited amount. Go to FanDuel.com, click on the Join Now button, and use my promo code MMQB. That's FanDuel.com, promo code MMQB, void where prohibited. In Owings Mills, Maryland we go. We're with Steve Smith. Actually, Steve Smith Sr., mm -hmm. wide receiver of the Baltimore Ravens. And I always have marveled at you, Steve, in this way. I really can't believe you're still standing, <laughs> not only still playing. There haven't been many guys who've gotten beat up and hit the way you have because you don't shy away from anything. Is the physicality of this game something that you enjoy or you just have to put up with to play the game? It's something that I do enjoy, um, the physicality of the game. I grew up in Los Angeles. I grew up watching football in L.A. back in, what, 80s, 90s. Watching that, 
you just you didn't really watching that kind of football. You know, I will watch Bo Jackson punish a guy. I will watch Marcus Allen sometimes run around a guy, run through a guy. Uh, Kevin Mack, watching those guys. Uh, you know, I was I was enamored when I came here when I first came here when they in free agency to meet Ozzie Newsom. Um, so because I, you remember watching Ozzie Newsom yes. play near the end of his career. Yes, you know. So I remember I grew up watching football follies. And that's when guys used to get the snot knocked out of them. You know, I remember watching a, um, the L.A. Raiders, the Oakland Raiders, the L.A. Raiders, the Oakland Raiders, where Greg Townsend, oh, yeah. um, Howie Long, you know, Jack Tatum, you know, seeing those types of players. That's how football was pictured in my mind. That's how I visualized it. And I got the opportunity to live out my dream. That's the only way I've known how to play is to hit. Um, to run through a guy, if, if a guy's in your way, to run through him, to block. So that's just the way I learned how to play ball. So when you were growing up in Los Angeles, was it always football? Or was it ever basketball? Play, we played winter sports. We played sports according to the season. So in the spring, you play baseball. Were you good at baseball? Uh, I was pretty good. It just was so slow. Yeah. So I, I pitched, play first base, play shortstop, play second base. Dodger fan? Oh uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Vin uh, Scully's retiring. You got to be sad yeah. about that. Raul Mondesi, <laughs> that's your guy. Oral Hayshizer, yeah. uh, Eddie Murray. Uh, my dad went to Lock. My mom went to Lock, and Eddie Murray was at Lock. What is Lock? Lock High School in oh, okay. Los Angeles. All right. So, you know, I just watched those things and I enjoyed them, and and that's just kind of the way, the way it was, you know. And I play baseball, play football played basketball so I learned I actually learned how to uh, ice skate so I, you know my mom always said she always thought about keep me entertained keep me engaged and so I learned a lot of different I played tennis at one point so how did you end up in Utah you went so, to college in Utah yes I went to college in Utah and there's a guy who recruited me named Fred Graves he was looking at me um, another guy at Santa Monica he was looking at a guy named Demetrius Posey and I played in a slot. And so he was looking at him, and Demetrius had committed to Utah. And so by them seeing him, they, they looked at me, and so they put me on a trip. Well, found out uh, he was coaching a guy named Brian Cox at New Mexico State with Jay Schrader. Hmm. Well, Brian Cox, that he coached um, 10 years ago, was also park director for sports at the local park that I grew up at. In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. Yeah. So I always respected Brian, and it's pretty cool because Brian's son now is a backup quarterback at University of Utah. Wow. But I, you know, saw Brian as a guy who was very, who I respected, who I saw was making a living for his family, who went to college, got a degree, got an opportunity. And so I said, if this guy helped him where he is today, then maybe I have that same opportunity. And so when Utah, so I had Utah, Sam Houston, and San Jose were the three schools that really wanted to give me an opportunity to play college ball. And so my mom was like, well, where are you going to choose? So I said to myself quietly, um, in the midst of all this stuff, when I started getting recruited, I said, wherever I go, I'm going to go because it's free. And I have no other opportunity to go to college. My mom didn't have any money. My mom raised us off $12,000 a year. And so Utah gave me that opportunity. 
and they were the first school offered me. They were D1. It was a big school to me. Um, I was watching Wyoming, Colorado State, Montana State. Those teams were throwing the ball all over the lot, and Utah was also one of those teams. So I always said I can go if I can go to WAC, I have an opportunity to get a little bit closer to possibly playing in the league. And so I committed to Utah, and then the next year they went to the Mountain West. But, you know, I called some passes, and here I am. So John Harbaugh has told me this story about he's working for the Philadelphia Eagles mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. And he sees you, I guess, at the scouting combine, or he sees you on the scouting trail, and he really wants the Eagles to draft you. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't get a chance to draft you. What do you remember about that? It's funny, the Eagles – Rams and Baltimore were the teams. And I remember, uh, I can't remember his last name, but I asked Ozzy the other day about him. Art, I forgot his last name, that used to be a scout here. And he was always encouraging to me when I played in, uh, uh, back in the day, the Blue-Gray Bowl in uh, Mobile, Alabama. Uh, he talked to me, talked to me for about an hour, telling me the things I need to work on to make it in the league as a returner. Because in college, I had like one year 35 catches, 750 yards, 43 catches, 600 yards. So I could play wide receiver as well. And I just remember Coach Harbaugh just, he loved the way I could play returner. But he said that, you know, you, you want to play wide receiver, huh? And I said, yeah, I want to do both. And I want to be great at it. So the Panthers drafted you. Were you, were you surprised? I had no idea where North Carolina was. You know, <laughs> I, I just didn't. I was a West Coast guy. I had only been on the airplane three or four times. I was in junior college, so we took a school bus to our game. Your first two years, you were in you were in junior college yes, in Los Angeles. Correct. Yeah. And so you just take a school bus to we games. We we load up on school bus. Uh, we played Bakersfield one time, and we got a a charter bus, but you know we didn't get on the airplane. I think I went to I went to Vegas one time. My family it was a family trip for spring break, and we took the Greyhound. Wow. So I, I didn't have a lot of experience on airplanes. Yeah. Your first time you touched the ball in the NFL it against was, the Minnesota Vikings. I need you to tell me this story. So my daughter was born a Wednesday. She was supposed to. She was scheduled to be born September 11th, 2001. Wow! And she was. Um, the doctor induced her a little bit because they had a fear that she would have it on Sunday on game day. So she had it the Wednesday before the first game. So as I'm preparing. Uh, for the game, you know, she goes into labor on, the, on our day off on Tuesday, and we had her that morning. So I said, you know what, I'm not taking this bracelet off. It was a pink little bracelet had her name on there. The hospital bracelet? The hospital bracelet. I said, I'm not taking it off until I score. And um, there's a special teams ace. I think it was Walsh uh, from San Diego State. And so I was Utah, and I had killed San Diego. For the Vikings? For the Vikings. I had killed San Diego State. And so I was watching – you know, growing up as a kid, you watch that guy on the motorcycle from Minnesota. You're like, that yeah, was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so when they're coming out of the tunnel. He's sort of the mascot there with the long beard. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm sitting there in the end zone fielding kickoffs, and I'm just sitting there in awe. Like, I'm in the NFL, and I'm watching the Minnesota guy with on, the on the motorcycle. <laughs> and so I'm watching, and Walsh comes over and tells me, you're saying Utah no more, and uh, we coming for you. And so I kind of get a little irritated. They kick off, and and there we go, and I score a touchdown. Only you game, picked the ball at the seven-yard line. You got it at the seven-yard line. Yeah. And what did you see? I saw grass. That's all I saw. I didn't see anything else. 
And that was the only game we won that whole year. Yeah, you went one in 15. Yeah. And so I took off my bracelet um, on the sideline and held it up and uh, took it home, and it was pretty cool. So the first time, you must be thinking, God, this NFL is easy. It wasn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> How many other people score a touchdown the first time they touch the ball in the NFL? Not not many. It's, man, it's, it's been some guys. It's been some special guys. So um, I've always thought of you, Steve. You know, you've played such a long time in this league, and I've always thought of you as a guy who you'd hate him if he wasn't on your team. But if you had the guy on your team, if you were on somebody's team, they would love you. So you play so long for Carolina, and then you go late in your career to Baltimore. Have guys said, man, before I got on a team with you, I really hated your guts? No, I wouldn't say guys say that. Some of them, like, wonder. Um, other guys uh, kind of laugh. You know, like we have uh, Jonathan Powers, and we, talk, we laugh about little things that kind of happen because he's a DB. But no, no. I mean, I haven't run into it. There's probably a lot of guys that are like that, you know, because when you're an opponent, like there's things about other people when they're on another team, if they're making plays, that annoy you. Um, so I, I wouldn't put it past anybody. You know, I, I've, I've rubbed uh, a lot of people the wrong way, and I would say 70% of it has been intentional on my part. Because it's competitive and you think that you can gain an edge by doing it? It's competitive, and plus it's just I'm a people person. I watch people. Uh, I like to see little things. I start, I say things to see how they respond. The one thing I do, as sometimes my wife tells me about is I have to be careful, is uh, sometimes I play to the people that, like I get a sense of who they think I am, and so I give them that, and I let them have that. And there's parts of me that I don't really share with certain people because I really don't feel like it will it will change anything. So why even bother like I know with the media here sometimes I'll allow them you know if I kind of sense where they're going with the question then I'll kind of just go with it and I'll allow them to you know so I did a call today and they were talking about how do you get in people's head like certain things that they talk about I could kind of tell where they're going so I just kind of play to it and, and, and leave it up to them you know and I've I've met business people where I'll talk and they'll go oh you're a lot different than what I thought because there's parts of me that outside of football that Well, I, don't you think that on the field as a competitive person, absolutely. you're just going to be a different person than you I, are going to be? And I don't be. think people get that. I don't think people really understand it. And, and the best way I can put it in perspective is a person at work that's a salesman is going to operate totally different as a salesman behind closed doors to sell a deal or cutthroat business that another guy would uh, if he's at home with his kids. It's just it's a different kind of ball. So do you understand over the course of your career that you have engendered these very, very strong feelings about you? Absolutely. There are so many fans, like the fans in New Orleans. They hate you. Absolutely. You have so many of them. I hate think. them too. Yeah, all right. Fans in Atlanta over yeah. the years. And now you're in a new rivalry here. So And they hate me here too. It, well, they don't hate you in Baltimore. No, I, yeah, in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, Listen, every time I get off the flight, I know I'm a degenerate, a thug, an idiot in every city other than the home team. And I get that. And that's what those people pay for. That's what they needed. I have a philosophy. There are two people in life. There's a hero and a villain. Lois Lane loves Superman. She doesn't love Clark Kent. Without Lex Luthor, there's no Superman. 
Lois Lane is not in love with Superman because he's helping old ladies cross the street or helping a cat get out of a tree because Lex Luthor is trying to destroy the world or rob. He's trying to do something that allows Superman to come save the day and be that hero. But without Lex Luthor, there's no Superman. So I embraced the villain. 25% of people love Superman. 25% love the villain. And I believe 50 or 40, whatever percent is, there's another percent that are undecided. And depending on who wins, the undecided shifts either way. So that's kind of how I look at it. In your career, how did you adjust to being the hated man? Because in many cities, even early on in your career, you were so feisty. Yep. You were so angry on the field. You were so pugnacious. So how did you adjust to that? Well, a lot of it has to do with the way I grew up. I grew up in poverty. I grew up in Section 8. I, I grew up with a, not a lot of options. And so it was very tight-knit. We only could rely on ourselves. Um, at times, it was a doggy-dog world. And so I'm used to that. I've grown in that. Chaos has been, for a long time, a place of normalcy for me. So I operated in that. So you come to the league just because you have money. I believe money only makes you more of what you are. If you are greedy, you're just a greedy person with money. If you're a moron, you are a moron with money. If you're a giver, you're a giver with money. So whatever you are is who you are. Your financial situation only increases and decreases or feeds. So when you were a high school football player. Oh, I was nasty. Are you the same as you are right now? Uh, I'm a little nastier because I think it's higher stakes. And nastier meaning, you know, I, I go in there and hit a linebacker. I mean, we played the game and yeah, I'm not going to run past a linebacker to go. I don't like passing up color. So if I got to go block a safety but the linebacker's unblocked, I'm going to go in there and go try to knock the, the linebacker. And that's just to kind of let them know. I've hit a guy of safety, what they call a run-stopping safety, come down, first two plays, we go at it, bang, bang. And he'll say, I'll be here all day. I said, okay, we're going to find out. By three or four times, when he comes down, he's coming down, but his eyes is on me. He's looking at me because he's trying to see, will he come down consistently like he did last time? And the answer is yes. And when I see him looking at me, that tells me that now he's not focused on doing his job. He's focused on me. So if he's focused on me, then I've done my job. And now he's going to come down and be hesitant because he knows that I'm going to come full throttle. And so now that means he's a step behind once that back hits the hole now is on them. So a lot of that goes into it and understanding. Uh, I understand my role and understand the, 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 the game. And so it all benefits into me. So it's, for me, it may seem like, oh, he's just pissed. But it's a method to it's the It's a matters. part of your game. It's a part of my game. Who... Is there a safety, let's say, a corner, a linebacker, who you really have kind of enjoyed going to oh, war with over man, the years? there's a ton of guys. I mean, I loved going up with uh, with Troy. Troy Palomalo. Man, one of the coolest things. Me and Troy then banged at midway through the field. He'd get up. Hey, how's Peyton, my oldest? How's Peyton doing? He's good, man, for – Ten years, you would ask me, how Peyton. We you mean at, in the middle of a game? In the middle of a game after play. Tell Peyton I said hello. He played football with him one time at, at the Pro Bowl, and he stuck with him. And he stood out for him, and he's always asked, and I've always told him. And so that was really cool, like stuff like that. You know, that's part of the game that – But there have to be some guys who you really dislike. Keith Brookings baptized me one time. 
uh, going in the line or going across the middle. I mean, just it was he molested me pretty good. It was bad. I was going under there and he just tore me up. Uh, stuff like that. So you know, uh, I remember Zach Thomas killed me one time going to, underneath around in Miami. So there's a ton of guys that I respect that have a lot of respect. What for about them. guys who do it a little dirty that you don't respect? Those guys don't last. And so you don't really, I don't have the names of those guys. When you say Zach Thomas, you don't think dirty. Yeah. You think of a great player. So those Troy are the Troy Palomalo the same way. Yeah. So guys yeah. that I respect and I see, I respect them because of the way they play, how the way they play the game, and what they make you do when you're playing. And but same- I remember so many of those games against the Saints over the years when you were in Carolina. I'd watch TV and I would say, Steve Smith hates those guys and yep. they hate him. Correct. But then there's guys like Steve Gleason, who was a special teams ace, who I, I that's where I started off with. And did he ever blow you up? No, unfortunately not. But he blew up Nick Goins. We had a thirty-seven when he was thirty-seven. They used to go at it. Yeah. You know, there's a ton of guys. I remember and they picked up. Uh, he had two first names. Corner from Indianapolis, David. I know who you're talking Jason about. Jason David. Jason David. Yeah, yeah they picked yeah. him up. I really wasn't a big fan of him. Thought he was overpriced. He was. Look at where he's been out of league, close to double digits. You know, so and that's not a shot of him. Just meaning and saying, there are players that I may not have enjoyed going against them, but they're short term. They're guys that came and go, but the guys that are left a lasting impression on me, mentally and physically. You know, the respect is there because you respect how they played and what they did. Why have you decided to play such a long time? Well, I was at the Pro Bowl my rookie year, and my agent always reminds me the last couple of years before I go to training camp. And I said, man, I'll, I'll be lucky if I make eight years in here. And he was like, really? I made it. You made it 16. I know. <laughs> 16 so, years. Yeah. Look at you. You're not a huge guy. No, I'm not. But yeah. I, I always believe master your craft. It's a tough sport. It's a job. But it's a job that in which I'm very good at. And I take it seriously. And I don't take it for granted. Um, I work my tail off. Um, and then if I'm not working, I'm my biggest critic, and I'm always analyzing and watching film and looking at things I can improve on. I do hand, I take handwritten notes, even though everything is switched to electronic. I still sit down, first down, second down, third down, red zone. You're writing it down, and I write it down. Yeah. This is the MMQB podcast. QB podcast. This is Adrian Wojnarowski of the Vertical for candid conversations with the biggest names around the NBA. Be sure to check out our podcast network, which includes the Vertical Podcast with Woj, the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Redick, and the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix, all at thevertical.com, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Football's back. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for those games you want to see up close and in person this season. There's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays of the year, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the seats you want for great value. SeatGeek has the best deals on every ticket in the house, wherever you want to sit, whether that's the 50-yard line, the club seats, or the upper deck. Now, pay attention to this part. It's vital. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. That's $20 right back in your pocket. And to get it, all you have to do is this. Download the free SeatGeek app and go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code. Then you enter the promo code MMQB. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It doesn't get any easier. 
Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code MMQB today. Now, let's get back to our guest. So the game has changed a lot since you came in it. And one of the ways it's changed is the emphasis on taking care of players and the head trauma and trying to be cautious about that. Two-part question. Do you think that the game is going in the right direction in trying to take care of players? Or is football the kind of game where you should say, hey, listen, if you want to play it, play, and it's going to be dangerous. Just accept it. That's a great question. Two questions, and this is what I say. As a player now, currently, and moving forward has that have children, give everybody the opportunity and the full discretion of the information and let them make a total educated decision based on all the information. The other part, has the game changed? Yes. Is it changing for the good? My answer is I don't know until I know for sure if they're making the changes because they think it's right and it's more safe or they're making the changes to put lipstick on the pig and call it a pageant show. Make sure you're doing it with the right reasons and the right integrity, not just to say you're doing it to justify to the people that are crying out, the fans or the or the congressmen, or all these people that are saying are workers' comp cases and all these things that they're taking a lot of flack for, make sure they're doing it for the right reasons. Because if you're not, then it's not going to be sustainable. Then it's short term. It's not consistent. You're just doing it to get away and get past and hope. I stick my head in the sand and I hope it goes by and it does. You know, kind of like what baseball has done with steroids. For a long time, they ignored it and ignored it. And now, Less guys are using it, but also every so often they catch a few guys. As they have stayed consistent, less and less guys are getting caught. And I think less and less guys are doing it. You've seen some younger players leave the game early. Heck, you even saw Calvin Johnson, who still had some prime years left, most mm-hmm. likely leave the game early. And yet you've gone in the opposite direction. Do you ever wonder when you're 55 years old if you will be all there? Well, I mean, I, I take fish oil and I do some things that are there. I've, I've done some research. You know, they talk about concussions, all that stuff. I only had one concussion in my, in my career. That's amazing to um, me. But I also hit what I see, though. I use yeah. my shoulders a lot. You know, um, I don't. You've hit, never used your your head as I, a I try, as a battering no, ram. No, I try right? not yeah. to use. I try to use my shoulders. I try to use my body. I try to. I was taught to hit what you can see. Mm-hmm. If you can't see it, you can't hit it. And so I've, you know, my shoulders are jacked up, but I'll take a shoulder overhead any day. I also believe that there's a lot of other things that contribute to two things. You know, you can't say, "Are you concerned about lung cancer?" If you're smoking cigarettes and then all of a sudden you stop and you say, well, I hope it works out. Like I now understand, but I've never really hit with my head, you know, but I also do. I also read and I doodle and do some of those things to kind of keep my mind fresh, because just like for me, being African-American, they say that at my age, high cholesterol and, and, and certain things that are in some people more than others and all that stuff. And so I try to minimize some of my intake on on fried food and some of those things. So there's health risks for everyone at a certain age, and you can't ignore it just because, well, I play football 
or I don't play football. You know, things happen to a lot of people. A buddy of mine, dad, had a um, tumor in his back. Six weeks later, died. Hmm. You know, things are happening for a lot of reasons, and you got to get checked up. You got to do those things that uh, people, I think a lot of older people, uh, neglect and don't do, and also young people. So August 30th, 2015, mm -hmm. you announced yeah. that it was going to be your last year yep. in football. Two months later, you tear your Achilles on the field against the San Diego Chargers. Mm -hmm. And from the start, I could just sort of sense that you were not finished in the fact that you love the game so much and whether you feel that you got cheated by eight weeks or whatever, you didn't get to finish that season, but then you announced that you were going to come back. So why did you do that, and how much longer do you think you'll play? I announced because so many people were kind of hinting and wondering and all that stuff, and it kind of gets monotonous to have people always asking and poking and prodding about how much longer, you know, and now that everybody kind of knows I'm in my contract, people are like, oh, he's not done. You know, I'm just taking one day at a time, and I, you know, I talk to the team. Is I'm trying to stay in the present as much as possible because I really haven't. I've had 16 years. I've, I've had um, in my career 13,505 days, and I don't know, but it's a high number. I haven't enjoyed it, so I want to enjoy it. What do you mean by that? You've had all those days in the game? No, all those days in my life. Oh, all those days in your life. Okay. 13,505 You know how many days. days old you are right now? Yeah. yeah. And I haven't enjoyed it. And I want to start enjoying it. I want to start just relaxing and living in a moment. And just kind of not recklessly going by to see my pants, but saying, you know what? Be spontaneous in a way that makes me laugh and makes me smile. Allows the people around me to say, hey, man, Steve's really enjoying whatever he's doing, and not just in football, but just outside of that, because I've just been so goal-oriented. You know what I think is really interesting about you, and I didn't even realize this until I was reading about you today. You have a son who plays college soccer. Yeah. I mean, how many NFL players in history, while they're playing no, in the I NFL, have – a son or a daughter playing college sports. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Soccer player at DePaul, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I so, go to visit him next Tuesday. Uh, I go I go up there to uh, just me and him hang out. We go into the movies and go have dinner uh, and have breakfast, and then I come back to Baltimore. Wow. So how did he become a soccer player? He played soccer. He played baseball. He played basketball in the winter. He played everything. He grew up in Charlotte, right? Yep. My, yep. One of my other sons, he plays baseball. He played golf, played tennis. He wants to play football. You know, I just let him play whatever. Just keep him active. That's how I was. Yeah. Is it strange to go watch him play soccer instead of football? No. So we've I've taken it to where it gives an excuse. You know, we've been to Manchester United. We've been to Chelsea. Wow. Uh, we went to. Uh, you saw games over in England. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we How visited. was it? It was outstanding. It was great. Yeah. You know, we met some players. We've been to their practice facility, watching practice. He's been at, you know, he's went and trained with some uh, professional teams out there. So we've had a good time, and it's been a very good uh, adventure, you know, uh, going to different. We've toured the – We unfortunately, we went in the summer. We toured um, uh, Barcelona's wow. uh, stadium. So we, we try to really engage. Uh, are, you, are you a soccer fan? 
I enjoy like, it. Yeah. I re- I respect the, the the sport and the skill that those men have. Yeah. Um, and it's not a. I, I can't. I don't care how athletic you are. You can't just wake up and say, "Hey, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play hockey." Yeah. You know, never never been on skates. I'm. Yeah. You know, so it's fun, but just let them enjoy it. And I, you know, like I said, I was a huge Andre Agassi fan when I was a kid. So I spent back in 08, I spent two weeks in uh, Australia, and I went to the Australian Open. Wow. So I I just. Just kind of just enjoying life. You got a lot of weight. I had Larry Fitzgerald on the podcast, and he he's been to ninety two countries. Yeah, <laughs> he's a traveling fool. Yeah. <laughs> Last thing I'll ask you. So, in your mind, when you look at your life in football, mm-hmm. and you look at the legacy you would like to leave, mm. what do you want people to say about Steve Smith, the football player, when he's gone? Gone like from the game or dead. No, gone from the game. Oh. Well, if I'm dead, who cares? <laughs> uh, that's a great question because there's a lot of things. I'm not the prototype. I'm a small statue guy who generally dominates on the, on the inside. But yet, as I've gotten older, that's where I'm at now. But I've played outside. I believe and feel that the young players just coming out now, it has allowed these scouts to change their mind that you don't look at a guy based on his statue. You look at a guy based on his ability. And when I look at Shepard, Corey Coleman. These young guys coming these in young now. guys coming in that standard, when you, when you line them up against a Calvin Johnson, those guys shouldn't be playing, shouldn't be catching eight catches and nine catches for 167 yards playing on the outside. I've given those guys an opportunity to believe in themselves. They're like, if this guy can do it, let's find a guy that can do it as well. And so it's given them an equal opportunity. And it's been a long road to get there. In other words, you don't have to be 6'4", 230. All you got to do is play ball. You know, there's too many guys that are 6'4", look like Tarzan, play like Jane. But I love coming in there. I got a few packs, not a six pack, but I go in there and work my tail off and I'm able to play against a six four. I remember playing with Carolina and Troy Vincent covered Musa and Muhammad and I had Bobby Taylor and I wore Bobby Taylor ass out. He was six four. I was scared out of my life, but I played with no animosity or no hesitation, understanding. It's just a taller guy in my way. Let's go get it. You've really uh, left your mark on football, and uh, whatever you do, I've really enjoyed watching you. I appreciate it. This is the MMQB Podcast. I want to ask my listeners a quick question. How would you like to get three home-cooked meals for free? Well, all you have to do is remember these four letters, MMQB. They are, after all, the most important letters on planet Earth. That's easy enough, right? Now keep listening and I'll tell you how to get those free meals. Look, we all know there's nothing better than a great home-cooked meal. No one makes it easier for you to do that than Blue Apron. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their suppliers and bring you only the best ingredients, all of them right to your door. Be sure to check out the great meals that are available during the month of September. You won't be disappointed. 
Now comes that part about the three free meals that I was telling you about. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash MMQB. Think about it. Three meals free just by adding in MMQB. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. Once again, blueapron.com slash MMQB. Blue Apron, it's a better way to cook. Really interesting stuff from Steve Smith Sr. And now, Ron Jaworski. Okay, we're back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. I'm here at NFL Films in uh, Mount Laurel, New Jersey with Ron Jaworski. Ron, I've been coming to NFL Films for a thousand years, and I think you've been here for a thousand and ten. Actually, is only twenty six years, Peter. <laughs> this is your. This is really your home away from home here in the house that Steve Sable built, isn't it? It, it really is. Uh, you know, I retired as an NFL player in nineteen ninety, and I've maintained an office at NFL Films since then. And pretty much throughout the week, this is where I spend my time. I have access to all the coaching tape, wirings of players, uh, you name it. Uh, you talk about the NFL. Here it is, NFL Films. So. Uh, I consider that a real advantage in the work that I do. All right. So, Ron, for years, you have studied quarterbacks. One of the reasons I came here is that I really wanted to sort of get a little bit in depth with you about Carson Wentz. First of all, you know what Carson Wentz is going through right now. You were a young quarterback coming to Philadelphia. You know the pressures involved. You know everything. And you also have the luxury now to have studied Carson Wentz before this draft and ever since he got to Philadelphia which is 30 minutes away ever since he got here you have uh, gotten to know him and uh, I'm assuming that you've been pretty impressed with him so far but I want to go back in your study preparing for the draft you had to prepare for a lot of interesting quarterbacks this year Wentz Jared Goff Dak Prescott. I mean, a, a load of guys. So what distinguished Carson Wentz when you looked at him? First of all, arm strength. And Peter, as I've watched the NFL evolve year after year after year, and the game changes substantially all the time, particularly in the offseason when I get a chance to study all the NFL quarterbacks and watch all their throws, I get an idea of what it takes to play the quarterback position at the NFL level. And I really came away the last couple of years understanding arm strength is very important. As I watch NFL defenses go to five, six, even seven defensive backs on the field in known passing situations, you got to have a quarterback that could squeeze the ball into tight windows. That's arm strength, as well as anticipation, reading coverage, all those other things are important. But I think velocity becomes very, very important as I evaluate quarterbacks at the college level and project them to the NFL. So what distinguished Wentz when you're looking at his tape, keeping in mind that he's not playing USC and Notre Dame every week. He's playing at the uh, at the FCS level. I could care less who he plays against. I, and, I, you know, this is an argument that's been going on for years, you know, and the same thing was said about Joe Flacco when he first came in the league, and maybe it was said about Ron Jaworski back in 1973 coming out of Youngstown State or Ken Anderson out of Augustana or Steve McNair and guys that on and on and on and play at a, at a lower level. If you have talent, Peter, you can play at 
at the NFL level. If you're willing to commit yourself to be successful, you can play at the NFL level. And remember this, people want to talk about the competition. You know, I went out there for his pro day and, and watched Carson Wentz and his receiving core that were going through his pro day workout. And I don't think there was a guy faster than 4'7 or 4'8 running routes for him. So he didn't exactly have the greatest talent around him to throw to. And already in two games, you could see that although the Eagles may not have the greatest receiving core in the NFL, they're getting better because of Carson Wentz's accuracy throwing the football. One of the plays that I saw in week two against the Chicago Bears, it's a play that ended up getting called back because of a holding call on one of his offensive linemen. Jarrell Freeman, linebacker for Chicago, comes up the gut unblocked. And Carson Wentz has Brett Selleck about 20 yards down the field. And he's got to throw this ball very carefully because he's thrown in the middle of three Chicago Bears. But he does have a window. And he waits and he waits, and he knows that Jarrell Freeman is going to knock the wind out of him and maybe worse. And Jarrell Freeman, a form hit on him. It was a perfect hit. Didn't hit him with his head. Didn't go high on him. It was perfect. He got him right in the midsection. But he nailed Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz threw the ball a millisecond before he got hit, and it was a perfect throw, 20-some yards down the field, right into the hands of Brent Selleck. And, of course, it didn't count. But that of all the plays I have seen in the first two weeks of the season – that is the play that impressed me most with Carson Wentz. That's probably a play that it crystallizes his performance now through two games. But I saw that in my tape study when he was in North Dakota State. His toughness, his mobility, but most importantly, his mechanics and ability to stay in the pocket until the last second. And you talked about Philadelphia to start this off. If you want to score points in this town, you better be tough. And I think that's the play that people will remember, as you just described it. You know, hanging in there, not breaking down, not going into the fetal position. In this town, they want a tough quarterback. They want a tough football team. And despite all the great throws he's made, uh, his ability in the pre-snap phase, the post-snap phase, as I'm around people in this town, they talk about that same play. That's what they want to see out of their quarterback, to hang in there the last possible second and deliver a strike, knowing you're going to get whacked. Now, at the same time frame, I also want to be a little more judicious when he gets outside the pocket, right? because this is a preservation game. Sometimes it's not always about ability, it's about availability, and Carson's still a little bit wild for a young guy. In fact, uh, I text him immediately after the game Monday, you know, and, and I've developed a nice relationship with him and say, hey, it's about being available. Protect yourself. So, and, and, he, and he responded, I appreciate that. <laughs> so... Tell me about your relationship with him, and do you tend to form a relationship with the quarterbacks who come through Philadelphia and who play here? Yeah, I, I believe so. I think it's just a natural thing, and it goes back to you know even you know when I was playing with Randall Cunningham, and we've maintained that great relationship uh, you know since 1984, and you know the Michael Vicks, the Donovan McNabs, the Kevin Cobbs, uh, the Nick Foles, all those guys. I kind of take them under my wing a little bit. You know, I I own some golf courses in the area, so I get the guys out on the golf course and get to know them. But I I try to let them know the pitfalls, and as well as what a great community that that Philadelphia can be, and. and you know, it, in a certain degree, it's no different than any other town. You got to win, but there's a certain mantra you have to have, which which I like. Carson Wentz that he has that, and that's that ability to be tough and hang in the pocket. It's the MMQB podcast. 
Hey, everybody, football season's here. It's time to get in on the action and play like the pros at mybookie.net. It's the most exciting experience for sports fans. MyBookie features real Vegas odds and incredible player props on every football game. Game already kicked off? That's all right. It's never too late to play. MyBookie has live games with odds updated in real time. And best off, it's optimized for smartphone users for nonstop action on the go. So go online and type MyBookie in your browser and sign up today. Use the promo code KING, that's K-I-N-G, to be entered into their million-dollar prize pool. Or, if you prefer, just make a phone call, 844-722-2387, a free phone call, 844-722-2387. Join thousands of online players already playing. Only the best, only the biggest, only at MyBookie. Sign up today. You know, I wonder, is it different do you think now that you have gone around this league for so long and into different cities, into different markets, is Philadelphia really different? Yeah, it is. It, it is. There's an incredible passion. You know, and I've, I've been to every NFL city, either as a player, a broadcaster, an analyst, you name it. I, I've been to them all. And fans are great in every city. Don't get me wrong. The NFL has the greatest football fans you will find in any sport. They love their team's with a great passion but there's something different about philadelphia and it's just like people live for sunday or monday or thursday night or but that game and it kind of dictates the mindset of the town it, you know you, you go out on the street on a monday after a sunday game and you may have been in out of town or out of the country and you come back and and there's a certain getty up in the people's step when the eagles have won or if they lost, you could just tell their head might be down. Ah, the Eagles lost. So it, it really is a town that lives and dies with the Philadelphia Eagles. When you were preparing for the draft, had Howie Roseman or Les Snead of the Rams or Sashi Brown of the Browns or any of these guys who were going to be making the football decisions, had they said to you, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz? Who would you take if you had your choice? Yeah, a lot of people. As you know, during the draft, I talked to, I'll say, most personnel guys, most guys in the position of, of making choices. I have helped teams in the past, helped them pick their quarterback. I don't want to say who, uh, but teams have reached out to me because they know that I do study the quarterback and I, I study their mechanics. And, you know, the one thing about Carson Wentz, too, are the great mechanics. And, you know, it was almost a, a clear difference watching the game Monday night when you watch Jay Cutler who's a veteran quarterback in this league with incredible arm talent, sloppy mechanics, sloppy mechanics. And then you watch Carson Wentz get on that back foot, open up, weight transfer, all those little things about playing the position. That was his second start in the NFL. His mechanics were superior to Jay Cutler, who may have the best arm talent of any quarterback in this league. But you've got to coach the quarterback position. You've got to coach it hard. And when I was out in Fargo, I went to his pro day, and, and I love going to those workouts and see the ball come out of a quarterback's hand. There's just something about that, you know. And, and you watch Carson Wentz throw the football. You can see that. And after all the tape study, I wanted to see, you know, really the movement, and the movement was phenomenal. Uh, but another thing I did, and I do this whenever I go to a pro day workout, I get in a day or two early, and I kind of hang around town and uh, go talk to some people and actually talk to players, teammates, and guys like that, and maybe go to a local watering hole and buy them a beer. 
and try to get some dirt. You know, and, yeah. and, and try, yeah. you and try to drill down and find something. Just really kind of want to, you know, because everyone's going to tell you, yeah, he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. That, that's just the way it is. But if you get guys, you have a beer and you talk, you kind of find out, you know, about the person. I mean, I talk to teammates, coaches, fans in the stands, sponsors. When I was in Fargo, I mean, I did not get anything negative anything negative obviously he's very bright 4.0 great average wonderlick score of 40 15th highest ever but when you're around the guy this is kind of bizarre and and i know there's a long way to go with carson wentz but in his pro day when i'm on the field like an hour before even players came out they're warming up they're loosening up and and there was when carson came on the field there was almost an aura and I said, this is a guy that could change the weather. And, and you've been around the Peyton Mannings. You've been around the great quarterbacks in this game. And I'm not saying Carson is there, but I got that same feeling of this respect for the kid. You know, this, his teammates, his players, his coaches, like, okay, he's on the field. You know, everyone towed the line. It, it, it was remarkable. And, and at that point, I really felt, and, and I, I did report to Doug, and I did talk to Holly about it. I said, this kid's special. You know, and I didn't go to golf's pro day workout, but I saw him on tape, and I studied Paxton Lynch and spent time with Paxton Lynch. You know, I, I studied Dak Prescott. You know, I, I studied Brissett and all the guys that are, you know, the names right now. And I actually like this quarterback crop, and we'll see how it plays out. But there was no... No doubt, in my mind, there was none, zero. Carson Wentz was a top guy. Ron, in the years that you have looked at this position, I think what is remarkable about the early part of this season is how many young quarterbacks who really haven't played before at this level, who have come in and are either playing hold-the-fort football or playing really well. You look at Jimmy Garoppolo. You look at Trevor Simeon who platooned with Kane Coulter for two years at Northwestern. You look at, obviously, uh, you know, with Carson Wentz getting his shot, Dak Prescott in Dallas. And so I wonder, what, if anything, does that say to you about the state of the game, where right now on first down, about 65% of the time, you're facing nickel on first down. It's up 25% in the last eight years. So the game is changing before our very eyes, yet you have guys coming in from college football or having very little time to learn in, in the pro game like Simeon and playing pretty well. What is going on? Yeah, you, but you, your comment was absolutely 100% correct, the evolution of the game defensively. Last season, 65% of the snaps in the NFL were nickel defenses or more defensive backs. So only 35% of the time did you face a base defense. So it is becoming a small, quick game outside of defensive linemen. They want guys that can make plays. And obviously that changes the approach of what you do offensively. And the rules have opened the game up, Peter. I mean, we we got to be realistic about this you know all the concussion stuff and the lack of being physical on defense has opened the game up offensively you know a tight end runs down the seam right now he's you know a fingernail touches him and they throw the flag I mean you're crazy not to try to take advantage of what the defense is presenting you and I think when you see these young quarterbacks now they've come out of systems where they threw the football you know, where, where they were in the shotgun. They didn't do as much reading. That's the one negative I get out of the college quarterbacks. They probably didn't do as much reading a defense. A lot of it was called from the sideline and predetermined or either or read. So they're not as far along. But when they get to the NFL, the ones that get really good coaches, and I always get in trouble when I make this statement, I still believe to this day the worst coach position in the NFL 
is a quarterback position. You know, I can sit here in my office and I could show you tape after tape after tape of quarterbacks drifting, bad footwork, bad mechanics. It drives me crazy. We've got some of the best coaches in the business, and sometimes they treat these guys like prima donnas and you can't coach them. I'd rather see these quarterbacks coach hard by tough coaches and make sure that their mechanics are sound on every single snap. But I think the game is allowing these young quarterbacks to play better because of the rules. You know, you mentioned players needing to be coached, and you mentioned Jay Cutler earlier. The opposite of Jay Cutler, I think. You know, Adam Gase goes from Jay Cutler, and he goes to Ryan Tannehill. Now, I have my doubts whether Ryan Tannehill is going to be a great quarterback in the NFL, but I hand it to Ryan Tannehill. His first words, basically, to Adam Gase when Gase got the job is, Coach, I'm here to learn. Just I'll do whatever you want me to do. You know, you're a great coach, blah, blah, blah. And I think too often in this game, you know, that's one of the things I always used to admire about Favre. Favre took coaching. And I think... Didn't always agree with it. Didn't always agree, but I will say this, and I watched him. I mean, Steve Mariucci had a huge impact on his life at a time when Steve Mariucci was just... A guy. Mm. Nobody knew in 1995. Nobody knew Steve Mariucci. Right. You know, same with Andy Reid. But Brett Favre listened to him, and Brett Favre was was helped by those guys. And I think that is one of the things in this game. When I look at these young guys like Trevor Simeon, Trevor Simeon is modeling clay for Gary Kubiak and Rick Dennison and Greg Knapp. I mean, and I think that and really don't forget helps John guy. Elway up in that yeah, front office. Right. John Elway understands the quarterback position, how yeah. it should be taught and trained. Yeah. So, Ron, I got two other things I want to ask you. I'm really curious now. It's been three years since we all saw Colin Kaepernick at the peak of football. I even had a guy on one NFC West team, a very prominent player, said to me in training camp this year. I cannot believe that they might not play Colin Kaepernick. I can't believe they might play Gabbert. I'll tell you what, that's a book someday. What happened to Colin Kaepernick? Okay, you were high on him. Everybody was high on Colin Kaepernick. What's your theory about what happened to him as a football player? I I, I will not back down from my strong feelings about Colin Kaepernick when he was one throw away from winning the Super Bowl over the San Francisco 49ers, inches away from Michael Crabtree on a fade. And if they would have picked up the blitz, uh, he may have had time to throw that ball and be a world champion. And I loved his talent at that time. And I'm not backing down from my comments. I said, this guy could be one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And I felt, as I was watching the evolution of the game, the quarterback mobility became so important. And he, he had that mobility. He did have a strong arm. He could move in the pocket. He could make all the throws. And he was coached hard by Jim Harbaugh. And if I think about what has been one of the reasons for his slide, Jim Harbaugh left. And, and I don't think he was coached hard. Jim Harbaugh knows how to coach. He knows how to get the most out of people. You had Greg Roman running the offense there, by the way, and they were a power-running football team, but they had enough sprinkled in of the Kaepernick movement, which kept defenses honest. They had enough good weapons offensively where he could have either-or throws, not full-field reads. So I think the fact that Harbaugh left him kind of left him dangling out there. And I don't know what the relationship was with the front office, everybody, everybody there, but it just seemed to fall apart rather quickly. And Dick Vermeil did a study, our dear friend Dick Vermeil, and, and, and you know he loves mm-hmm. the quarterback position like I do, and he, sh- he did a breakdown of quarterbacks that were 
uh, they're in the Hall of Fame, and those that were not successful, they had a great pedigree, a la Jay Cutler. And I was thinking this, you're talking Cutler. You see the talent. But so many different coordinators, so many different coaches, so many different voices in your ear can be confusing to a quarterback. And you look at guys that continually change their coordinator, their head coach, they have no shot, Peter. They have no shot. If there's consistency at the coaching position, at the quarterback coaching position, these guys have a better chance for success. So I still see the talent of Colin Kaepernick, but the fact that there's been so many different voices in his head I think has really affected him. Does Sam Bradford have a shot? He falls into that category of having a thousand coaches in six <laughs> years in the NFL. Uh, Peter, when I studied Sam Bradford this offseason, every throw he made last year for the Eagles, I felt he was the most accurate quarterback in the league last year. I mean, he threw the ball with anticipation, actually, at a very high level. His training camp this year was phenomenal. And I'm sure when Rick Spielman plugged in the tape, when they were talking about making this deal, he saw that there was an opportunity to get a top-flight quarterback. The best quarterback played game in the weekend was Sam Bradford, by the way. He was right. phenomenal. His yeah. accuracy was pinpoint, and he got the hell beat out of him. You know, And he won't make the season unless the Vikings solidify the offensive line. But I'm a Bradford guy. I think Sam Bradford, and I, I made this statement, a week ago and ruffled some feathers like I usually do when I make a statement that I, I'm pretty firm with. I said, you know, I'm a Ted, Teddy Bridgewater fan, but I wouldn't be surprised if Sam Bradford keeps his job when Teddy comes back. I, I Hey, look, the one thing that people are not talking about when people say, oh, Spielman gave up too much, a one and a four or one and a three, I mean, keep one thing in mind. If next April Teddy Bridgewater's rehab is going great, Somebody out there is going to offer Rick Spielman a one for both quarterbacks. You know, so Rick Spielman is going to have his choice then. Who do you want to play? All of a sudden, now you recoup the draft pick you paid and you saved your season. This is going to turn out to be, it could be, could be. be, We're very early. They're a good football team. And hey, how about Howie Roseman? Okay. Everybody is saying, is saying, oh, my God, Howie stole this and everything. Now, Howie could have had Sam Bradford playing maybe at his peak this year, but you put in Carson Wentz. How is Sam Bradford going to be playing a lot better than Carson Wentz is right now? Yeah. So it, this is one of those things. You don't say this that often. This could really be a trade that is not just pretty good, like really good. For both teams. Yeah, but based on, on, on two weeks of the season, obviously Carson Wentz is two games and Sam Bradford's one game. This is a win-win deal for the Eagles and the Vikings. Now, hey, there's a long way to go, but right now that's the way it looks. Finishing up with Ron Jaworski. All right, Ron, you are involved in a venture right now. You're going to go to China soon, and you're going to start a professional football league. A professional football league is starting in China, which nobody knew – I had no clue until you told me before, you know, right when we started taping. So tell me what this is about. Yeah, Peter, we've been working on uh, the Chinese Arena Football League for four years. Uh, in China, there are incredible arenas because of the Chinese Basketball Association. So we decided to go with the arena-style football. And uh, four years ago, I went over to China with my, my partner, Marty Judge, who's the founder of the CAFL. We met with the Secretary General of China. Now, here I am, this Polish kid from Buffalo, and I'm sitting next to the Secretary General of China for seven hours negotiating, bringing football to China. Seven hours later, he shook my hand, and he said, hey, you've got it. 
So we're actually four years later, four years later, uh, October 1st, going to play three games. Uh, six teams are playing in China, three games every weekend for a, uh, a six-week schedule and then a, a championship game. So it's been very well received. They love how football. Many cra- how many people will come to a game? We'll probably say. have ten to 12,000 at every game. The arenas are sensational, spectacular arenas. They love football. They love the Western lifestyle. I'm excited to be there the opening weekend and see these games and see how the Chinese people buy into American football. There are 1.4 billion people in China, four times as many people in China than in this country. And as we all know, the NFL is looking to play a game there in 2018. And I have spoken to Commissioner Godel and Todd Lewicki. They are watching how the CAFL does in China to see what kind of traction we get. So it's a very, very exciting opportunity. Is there an outdoor football stadium right now in China that would be a good fit for an NFL game? Yeah, they've, they've had Olympic events there, so yes, there are. But the one concern that the outdoor game will have is going to be air quality. In the major cities, there's an air quality problem. So what can they do about that? You know, and, and, well, uh, clean the air up. <laughs> but the cool thing, we're taking over. Each team will have 20 players on it. It's arena football, eight players on each side of the field. There will be 10 Americans on each team and 10 Chinese players. Wow. So over the last four years, we've been in China, in their universities, developing football players in, in China. And you Is there a Chinese quarterback? We've got a few now. We're not yeah. quite there, quite there yeah. yet, but we've got a few. Yeah. And this name might ring a bell with you, Ed Wang. Oh, yeah. Ed Wang was an NFL player from Virginia Tech. He is now our spokesperson, and he's formula- He's kind of the face of, uh, of American football over he in China. He speaks Mandarin. speaks Mandarin. His parents are Chinese. They were Olympians in 1984. So wow. Ed Wang has been the guy that has done an incredible job of making people aware of football in China. Are there American players who people would know? Who are going to be playing in this league? No, no, no. But where did you find where did you find the American players? We had tryout camps. Uh, we have are, we have arena league players who played in uh, the present arena football league. Right. A number of players from the Philadelphia Soul, my team, which won the championship this year, will be go, are over there now. They're actually in training right now. Been there for over a week. So uh, we roll out the red carpet uh, on October first. It's it's going to be great. And uh, yeah. you know, I think the fact that we have Chinese players involved is going to draw great attention to the teams. Yeah. Gonna well, be fun, football fun. Yeah. My my last question is: So, Ron, you've been involved with football for so long, and you have watched the game grow. And I wonder, when I was on my training camp tour this year, I tried to ask several players on every team at over twenty camps: Are you worried about the future of football? You know, with all the uh, concern about head trauma, with some players retiring early. What do you think about the long-term future of football, and does it have to make significant changes, or is football just going to go on, you know, as America's new pastime? No, I think we have to be very careful, and I do have some concerns. You know, one of the hats I also wear, Peter, is that of the chairman of the board of the NFL alumni, and in effect, we represent 22,000 former NFL players that are out there, and a day doesn't go by where I don't hear from one of those players with you know, concussion problems, health problems, issues from, you know, possibly playing the game. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I have two ears to listen to those guys and see what their problems are. And I applaud Commissioner Goodell, by the way. I think he's doing everything within his power to make the game safer. Studying the concussions, all the things that, that are really, really important, and getting, you know, medical people involved in making the right decision. So, you know, th- there are some concerns. 
You know, enrollment is down 30% right now in Little League football and Pop Warner and things like that. So there are some concerns, but um, we're addressing those concerns as as an entire group. USA football, the NFL, uh, the colleges, the high schools, all those things are being addressed to make the game safer. Uh, so all in all, yes, I'm concerned, but I think the game will continue to grow. Some concern about, you know, I... After the first two weeks of the NFL season, it appears ratings are down from viewership almost every weekend. So, you know why I, I think I got a theory about the ratings. I'd, I'd love to hear it. My theory yeah. is that, I mean, two pronged. Number one, no Brady, no Manning. For years, every football weekend in the NFL revolved around who's Brady playing this week, where's Peyton Manning playing, you know, and all this. Yep. So, no Brady and no Manning. And the other thing is. I think, and Colin Coward made this point on Fox this week, and I thought it was really a smart point. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are sucking the air out of everything right now because this is the weirdest, strangest presidential (laughs) election that we've ever seen. And almost every day, you're turning on the news at night. Maybe the people who are marginal NFL fans, instead of turning on SportsCenter to watch what happened today in the NFL, they're turning on MSNBC or Fox News to see what's going on with the election. And I think particularly prime time, Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night, you know, maybe they're turning on the political shows a little bit more than turning on the football oh, I, shows. I, I, I'm sure that's part of it, and it's going to have an impact on Monday night because the Saints and Falcons play the 10-year reunion of the Katrina, the Katrina game, yeah. and all of a sudden you got the debates. Yeah. So, I mean, no question, ratings are going to go down. You've got a high-profile presidential race going on, and people are going to be interested, and, you know, it looks like a toss-up right now who the next president will be, so people want to formulate their opinions, and there will be another football game next week if they go yeah. watch. So, it, yeah. Uh, I think that has something to do with it, but again, it's a small sampling of two weeks, but I think it's something worth watching. Yeah. Ron Jaworski, can't thank you enough for spending time. I told you I'd keep you about 10 minutes. I kept you 25, Peter, I can spend an hour with you talking ball. It's great to have you here at NFL Films, and you know that door to my office is always open. We sit there and break it down. I appreciate it, Ron. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Thanks to my guests this week, Ron Jaworski and Steve Smith Sr., for their revealing comments on the real world of pro football. Now, before we get out of here, just a few comments about the state of modern quarterbacking in the National Football League. So as I record this, the NFL has three game weeks in the books. And, you know, it occurred to me, sitting there Sunday night after being in Philadelphia for... Carson Wentz's tour de force, 34-3 victory over Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Thought occurred to me, so many young quarterbacks playing well. So on my drive back to New York, where I live, I kept thinking about, okay, what do some of these guys have in common? Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys, Jimmy Garoppolo of the New England Patriots, Trevor Simeon, now just of the Denver Broncos. Think of this about Trevor Simeon. Trevor Simeon plays at Northwestern, and he can't even beat out Kane Coulter, his sophomore and junior years. He finally wins the job his senior year, but is so underwhelming that he's not on most teams' scouting radar lists. And he finishes that year in his last game by tearing his ACL. And in training camp this year, he told me, hey, he was probably just going to go sell commercial real estate with that Northwestern degree. But A funny thing happened on the way to a three-piece suit for Trevor Simeon and some of these other guys. And that is that 
they all have one thing in common. And it's like Frank Reich, the offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles, told me after the game about Carson Wentz, Peter, he's not afraid. And that's the same thing I found with Trevor Simeon. It's the same thing I found, really, even though I have not had a conversation with Dak Prescott. Just watching Dak Prescott and how he holds himself and how he prepares and what you hear out of Jason Garrett uh, and Scott Linehan in Dallas, his coaches, that these guys, it's just football. And it's funny. I had a conversation at the NFL Scouting Combine with uh, Carson Wentz. He's a kid from Bismarck, North Dakota. Uh, He never played on a team outside of the state of North Dakota until he went to the Philadelphia Eagles. So you would figure, my God, this thing is going to overwhelm him. It's like the kid from the sticks going to Broadway to be the lead in Hamilton or something. But what you found three times in a 20-minute conversation at the scouting combine, Carson Wentz said the exact same sentence to me. It's just football. And I think it is so important to realize that when you look at these players playing these games, if it gets too big for them, then they're not going to be able to perform. But you watch Jimmy Garoppolo. You don't see him with happy feet. You watch Dak Prescott. Do you see him, you know, jerky motions, you know, yelling at guys on the field? Do you see anything like that? I don't. Do you see Carson Wentz do anything other than just commanding the guys in the huddle? Trevor Simeon, you know, he is, it's a job. And in order to do this job at a very high level, you have to be cool, you've got to be collected, and you've got to be the smartest guy in the room. Carson Wentz got a 40 on his Wonderlick test. It's one of the highest scores ever by an NFL prospect going into the NFL draft. Now, the Wonderlick test is an intelligence test that they give to players, all players at the Combine, and it's 50 questions. You have 12 minutes long. I've done the Wonder League before, and I've never gotten through. I've done it three times. I've never gotten through all 50 questions because some of the questions are math questions. So you got to sit there with a pencil, and it'll, it could take you 45 seconds or a minute. But anyway, Carson Wentz and these guys, they all have this in common. The game isn't too big for them. And I think that is a key reason why you're seeing so many young players play so well so early in their NFL careers. Thanks to my guests, Steve Smith Sr. and Ron Jaworski. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Brandon Marshall, Bruce Arians, and John Elway. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Listen to our other podcasts in the series. Albert Breer has one. It's really, really good. And Gary Grambling and Andy Benoit do a great job reviewing Sunday's games. Thanks to the folks at Digital Media for their production work. And of course, thanks to my sponsors, FanDuel, SeatGeek, Blue Apron, and MyBookie. Please support them the way they support our podcast. And I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. 
since Eats and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.